by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome in another week, and we're into June, which means we are in full-fledged boating season. We've got recreational boating, we've got floating down the river, we've got paddleboarding, canoeing, and fishing. And Janet, it's busy, busy, busy on the waters of Wyoming. It is. And you know, um, while it might be kind of drizzling rain a few days now and again, or maybe even some big lightning bolts, that doesn't seem to be deterring folks from getting out on the waters. And Anything and everything is fair game right now, and we're super glad that everybody is out there and enjoying themselves. With this year being such a good water year, as as it said, we had good snow melt and lots of rain, and the rivers and reservoirs all have water in it. That means a lot of people are getting out on the water to do their activities, to do things maybe the last couple of years they haven't been doing, but now everybody wants to get on their boat or their canoe or their float and, and head down the water. But there's something very important that they cannot forget, and that's the AIS situation going on, the aquatic invasive species. You know, we talk a lot about, sometimes I wonder, um, you know, if we're getting the message out correctly. So we're here today to try to do some actual scenarios, Drew, that might help people kind of understand a little bit more about why, when, how you need to get an inspection on your watercraft. It is a, a bit confusing because you do have folks that come in from other states that want to recreate or fish here, but you also have folks that just bounce around from waterway to waterway, and they're not real sure if they need to get another AIS inspection. But the uh, bottom line is really anytime you're going on the water, you have to be inspected. We have our specialists here, our Aquatic Invasive Species Coordinator, Eric Hansen and our fisheries supervisor, Matt Hahn, who are actually um, very good at dealing with all of these sorts of questions. And so uh, let's throw some scenarios their way and see what see what they can come up with. Eric, let's start with you. I know last year things got a little weird toward the end of the year. It was a mandatory checkpoint at the boat ramps at Glendale and Keyhole. This year, we're starting out, and we're it's been busy. We've had lots of people out on the, the water. Have you seen people that have really had issues with any of the AIS checkpoints? No, actually, I think we're kind of seeing the opposite, Drew. Um, we're seeing a lot of folks that are um, seeking out that inspection just because of kind of the, the big push that was created last fall. And, you know, if you were to go on our website, we actually have some rapid response plans that, you know, detail some of these more popular waters and what the situation would look like if they came up with a, a suspect or positive zebra quagga mussel uh, detection. And so that was kind of our opportunity to, one, experience what one of those plans would look like and also kind of button up those uh, two waters, Keyhole and Glendo, for the fall when we had less inspection presence. Um, but over the winter, you know, we uh, went to the drawing board. We added quite a few positions in the eastern part of the state, um, opened new border check stations in Newcastle and in Manville at the Three Sisters truck stop. We've been seeing, you know, a fair amount of traffic coming through there, uh, boats that do need inspections. Um, but really today, I'd like to kind of clarify, you know, um, 
like Janet was mentioning, when do I need a boat inspection in Wyoming? And, you know, what does the process look like? If I'm heading from, say, Glendo to Boysen, do I need an inspection at both places? Or if I come off Glendo, am I good for Boysen? So the way the regulation is written in Wyoming is if you bring your boat into the state from March 1 through November 30th, um, it's a mandatory inspection before that uh, craft can launch. And then if you pass an open check station in your route of travel. So most of our check stations are set up at the borders to catch um, out-of-state traffic since we do not have zebra or quagga mussels in Wyoming. That's, you know, the main thing we're trying to keep out there, as well as make sure, you know, some of the stuff we have in the state doesn't spread around. Um, that's where our rovers pop up um, at different locations like Boysen, Pathfinder. So if you were to encounter them on your route of travel, you would still want to pull in and show them that you have an inspection receipt. And if not, you know, you'd go through a quick inspection there with them and get a receipt so you'd be legal on the water. Other than that, if you don't pass a check station and you haven't left the state, you're free to boat um, within Wyoming waters from water to water. We just want to remind folks that that clean, drain, dry is the aquatic invasive species motto. And even though, um, you know, you're leaving Glendo and you're heading to Boysen and all of them are negative, we still don't want to be transporting what we might not know is there. We still want to make sure that, you know, people are doing the right thing because that's what's going to end up saving our waters. Yeah. And one other thing I'll point out, Janet, um, there are regulations. If you look in your watercraft regulations, it it lists all the aquatic invasive species specific regulations that that pertain to all watercraft and so like in this instance where you leave glendo and you go to boyce and let's say you do not encounter a check station you know we know there are some invasive species present in glendo uh, most recently asian clam which is a considered an ais species and so there is the the threat of transporting that species around the state but the regulations say that you have to remove all plugs from the boat, so your bilge plug, any live well plugs, you have to remove any vegetation or mud from your boat or your trailer before you leave the water and, and you can't transport water in your in your watercraft. So th- those regulations are designed to to really minimize the threat of moving stuff around within the state knowing full well that if you go from, you know, you're on Glendo today, then you're on Pathfinder tomorrow, then you're on Boysen the next day, you're probably not going to encounter a check station within the state. But if you're adhering to those regulations, you're not moving water, mud, vegetation from body water to body water. And that's really how this stuff spreads around is in wet, dirty boats. What could happen? Say some somebody is fishing in the morning in, in Glendo and they're like, oh, it's not doing right here. We're going to Boise. And, and they just take their boat out of the water. They hit the road. They leave the water, you know, in their their pump and their motor still has water in it. What is the worst case scenario that could happen when they get to Boise? Um, so worst case scenario with like an AIS that we do have present, um, Asian clam, for example, in Glendo, their larvae are microscopic and live in the water. Um, they're free floating. So if you had water in a system, it'd be very easy to transport um, larval clams and spread them that way. And really, you know, I would add to what Janet and Matt said, and, you know, our inspections are um, 
less of an inspection and more of a tool to teach people how to keep their boats clean, drain, and dry. And so even if you're transporting your boat within the state, if you're adhering to those same kind of protocols that we do, you know, walk around your boat, check and make sure there's nothing attached to it, clean it off if it is. Um, that's really the best way that we can keep these from spreading. And it really takes an army of, you know, everyone just kind of following the same practices to make that happen. And I really want to point out that, you know, Game and Fish isn't in the game of ruining people's day or, you know, causing problems more to educate and to make sure that the fisheries that we have remain the fisheries that we have and it doesn't change. You're spot on, Drew, and, and we had a little taste of it, you know, last fall when South Dakota um, had found zebra and quagga mussels only 60 miles from our border, right? So kind of a panic hit. We had, you know, very limited personnel. We had to do what we, we could at that time to best try to keep them out of Wyoming. And so, so what people experienced last fall is, is a prime example of um, what might happen to our fisheries and, you know, might even be closed for a short period of time while we have to deal with some of these invasive species. And as a reminder, depending on what species are introduced, we can't get rid of them once they're here. We're trying to help keep Wyoming open so that we can enjoy everything that we already do about this state. Well said, Janet. Now, Matt, let me ask you this. So I've been looking for a boat, and a lot of the boats I find are in South Dakota or Colorado. Is it a tough process to get that boat checked when I'm bringing it back? So, yeah, one of the things we see a lot here at the regional office um, is people that bought boats out of state, and they bring them into the state, and they show up to get registered, and uh, they need an AIS inspection at that time because they did not stop at the at the border to get one so one thing people need to remember is those border check stations are are open seven days a week during you know april through october um usually with extended hours and it is um required to stop any time you know any watercraft has to stop and so the the number of boats that we see here that need an inspection at the regional office, they should have already been inspected at the border, but they drove right by the, the border. Um, and so that that can become a problem if uh, nobody's around to do an AIS inspection, you know, we're all out in the field or something like that. It can be a real inconvenience for people or, uh, you know, because you're allowed to run for a period of time on the bill of sale before you, before you even register a new boat, they could set themselves up you know, say they get checked out at Alcova on the water, there's a potential to, to, you know, be in violation of the AIS rules because of, for several reasons, one launching without an inspection, but also um, bypassing a check station on your route of travel. So that's really important that people, that they do utilize those border check stations. They're all over the borders. All the major highways have them. Uh, like Eric had said, they're open seven days a week and, and really they're there for for your convenience as a, as a boater if you're coming into the state. Reality check here. If you're coming to Wyoming with a boat, you should be checking to find where the check stations are and what you need to do. But where can people find that? Is it on the website? Yes. So on our website, if you uh, follow the fishing and boating link and go in there and click on AIS, you can get all the information you need to find about check stations, um, check station hours, 
Uh, we even have private businesses that are uh, certified to do inspections. So if it's not a, a boat needing a decontamination or something like that, they can get that done at a private business if uh, outside of hours. Um, there's also links on there where they can purchase their AIS, AIS decal um, on their phone or on their computer. Um, so really all that information is there and updated regularly um, with current check station hours and locations. Matt, what could happen to the fisheries here if one of these in, invasive species that we're trying to avoid coming into the state took over, say at a Glenda? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, the answer is uh, there could be a lot of possible scenarios and you'll never really know how it'll play out until you get them. So, for example, there's been some research out of the upper Midwest where they've they've found reduced growth rates in walleye in uh, zebra mussel infested waters versus uninfested waters. So there's a potential to slow down growth rate on walleye, potentially slow, uh, reduce the primary productivity of that water, which means it can support fewer fish altogether. The zebra mussels can really change the, the whole food web nutrient dynamics. So, you know, there's a lot less nutrients in the water to begin with because they're filtering it all out, which means there's fewer bait fish, which means you can have fewer predators, et cetera, et cetera. And the severity of, of how it'll play out is going to really be water specific. Um, and there's no way to predict. I mean, we could see anything from, you know, an imperceptible change in the walleye population to a catastrophic reduction in the walleye population and anywhere in between. You just, you, you just don't know. One cautionary thing with that is, is a lot of the places that have zebra quagga mussels are to the east of us, much lower elevation, far more productive environments, a lot more background nutrients just available um, to begin with. I would tend to think that, you know, here in Wyoming, high elevation, cold water, not a lot of nutrients. You know, I think the uh, the risks are much higher for, for large-scale shifts in fish populations up here than, say, in Minnesota. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. Now, Eric, tell us real quick. Again, you're on the ground. You're at these check stations. What are we going to experience, and how long is it going to take to have a check done? Yeah, so, you know, this last weekend is a great example um, of one of our busier times of the year. Um Typically, actually, the last couple of years, Memorial Day weekend's been the busiest at Glendo. And, you know, we were seeing upwards of 120, 130 boats a day. You break that down into an 11-hour day, you know, it's you might be seeing a few boats at the check station when you pull in, but you won't be waiting for a long period of time. A standard inspection takes anywhere from three to five minutes. Um, really, that's about how long it takes for us to fill out our paperwork to get you your receipt. Um, and walk through the process with you. And it's also a good opportunity, you know, ask some questions, uh, get out and stretch, talk, talk about the fishing. Um, you know, it's generally a pretty pleasant experience for most folks and, you know, it gets, gets to in and out pretty quick and on the water. So we really try to make sure that we hold people up for the littlest amount of time possible so they can continue on their way and have fun. 
Seems like a short amount of time to do your part to keep Wyoming fisheries and waterways pristine and top-notch, don't you think? Absolutely. And I mean, if you're following those steps to clean, drain, and dry your boat, um, when you stop in at the check station, a lot of the stuff we're going to be looking for or might need to drain is already going to be done. So that inspection is going to go even quicker. And uh, you've also helped do your part to keep Wyoming waters clean. Very good. If you have more questions, you can contact Game and Fish or just go to the website wgfd.yo.gov. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Here we are already into June, Brian, and you know that means we're into the uh, season when there's fishing, camping, hiking, outdoor grilling. I mean, it's the perfect time for somebody to come in. Yeah, you know, and uh, outside of a few uh, afternoon thunderstorms, the weather's been pretty actually nice. It really has. You know, I went camping this past weekend, came in and got some supplies, got everything ready to go, and and uh, it rained. And, and that was kind of the, the big bum deal down there was the rain part. But really, I, I had the containers and everything to keep my stuff dry and and i was fine yeah well and it kept uh, the trails uh, dust free right yeah yeah <laughs> well and you know i was there at uh, laramie peak where that tornado was mm-hmm. so we sat and watched that for a little while with a little bit of rain and you know luckily it was you know not too bad <laughs> and going the other direction <laughs> yeah, yeah. And i didn't have to tell toto we weren't in kansas anymore you know? <laughs> but this time of year also is a good time you know uh we just past the deadline for the applications so yep. that means hunting season is just around the corner too yeah in a couple of weeks we're going to know whether or not we drew our uh, big game tags uh residents and uh, our springer permits hopefully so that'll uh, get everybody excited about whether we need to up up our game on a new rifle or make sure we've got our, our ammunition that we need for the season well and and myself you know this is the first year that i was able to put in mm-hmm. so you know i'm gonna have to get a rifle and you know start shooting it and get familiar with it I probably should have put in as a party because you're probably going to draw this year. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Well, let's hope, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when you come in here to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed and I've used more in the last three or four weeks than I have in a year, but it was the, the Coleman tailgater that, that mm-hmm. I got here in the store. It works for everything. It's grill. It's griddle. It's uh, just a stove to cook my coffee. Yeah, and I just uh, picked up the griddle that actually goes on there. So I'm thinking pancakes, eggs, some bacon. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be great. You can't go wrong with uh, all the different smokers you guys got, too. You just pit- pulled in the Pit Boss and, of course, Traeger. Yeah, um, and we uh, just got in the uh, uh, new uh, Traeger uh, pellet. Uh, they actually made like a steak rub. It actually comes with a rub and seasonings and whatnot. Oh. So uh, there's one that I got my eye on that I'm going to try out this weekend. Yeah, and of course, uh, speaking of this weekend, if you're going out fishing, I know earlier in the week the walleye uh, league kicked off, mm-hmm. and now the uh, the stampede is back for this weekend. So there's a lot of guys that are trying to restock from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, today's our last day of the stampede tournament. Uh, this is the last event that we have at Glendo. And, uh, you know, the fishing's been fantastic down here. So it's going to be really uh, interesting to see how the guys fare at the end of the day. Which we'll talk fishing and, you know, kind of what's going on in in that realm in just a few minutes. But here in the store, I know that one of the things that I've been looking at is is binoculars. And, you know, and now's a good time to kind of start eyeing them and and studying what you kind of want. Yeah, you know, um, the the camping supplies um, have have definitely been... uh, 
moving off the shelf pretty well a lot of the camp chairs and you know the, the one thing that you know we hear from a lot of people is that we're not we're not carrying the walmart brand uh quad chairs and that kind of stuff when you're when you're getting from us is you're going to get some quality products that you know you're going to buy a chair that's going to last you you know for a long time and it's not going to be that cheap uh quad chair that you paid 9.99 for and you sat on it you know sideways when when you had one too many and uh broke it so uh come in and check out what we've got you know the cots the sleeping bags the tents you know that kind of stuff um now now's the time to, to make sure you've got what you need and of course if it's anything fishing they've got the fishing supplies right here rocky mountain discount sports come on in it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors drew along with brian woodward from rocky mountain discount sports and uh, brian fishing is underway and i know that you've been doing a little fishing to to kind of pass the time and and take some folks out and, and enjoy what we have here and i've noticed a, a lot of kids that have been out fishing too because we just had the free fishing day and mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of kids are really interested in getting out there we have a lot of the the kids that are you know winning awards and, and whatnot so it's cool to see that yeah you know the wyoming game and fish has that uh what is it the slam or the program you know yeah. where you can actually kind of target different species so that that's kind of fun you know it gives uh, kids you know uh, master angler opportunities and really kind of gives mom and dad an opportunity to to get out and experience some different parts of the state and different uh, bodies of water that have uh, different species of fish in them. So, of course, uh, this is the last day of the stampede for this round. And then, uh, you know, Jay Fountain has the walleye league that's been going every Wednesday. So make sure that uh, you get in and kind of check out all the different options when it comes to fishing and, and, uh, and all that really, you know, every opportunity to get your kid out and get into the water and do some Fishing is a good opportunity. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of sh- put a shout-out and thanks to uh, the members of the North Platte Walleyes for uh, helping out at the free fishing day at Yesness Pond yesterday. They gave out uh, quite a few fishing poles, a couple hundred anyway. So uh, thanks to those volunteers that uh, supported that that uh, Game and Fish event. So what are we looking at now? We're, we're in June. The weather's starting to warm up a little bit. Uh, haven't had a whole lot of rain, but we're getting these thunderstorms that are dropping a little bit of water. So really, it's kind of hard to, to gauge how the water's going to look. You know, everybody that I've talked to that's been out at pretty much every reservoir in the region um, is having a lot of good success with catching lots of fish. So um, the water levels are great. And typically, you know, these reservoirs like Pathfinder, when we st- when we uh, come from a low water season to a to a high water season, uh, that uh, the fishing just tends to be better. And um, down at Glendo, the fishing is good. The water is pretty stable, so we've got good water levels. It's, you know, upper 80 percent. Um, I, I don't think that we're, I mean, I guess we really don't know what's going to happen with the runoff. I mean, there's, there's still more water coming, and there's still a lot of water barreling into a uh, Semino. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll eventually see that water kind of work through the plat system. So, uh, you know, the fishing is just going to be good for a while and the, the fish are going to transition, you know, based on what the water's doing, you know, if the, the water's dropping a little bit, those fish might slide out and uh, did, did hear that there's a pretty good troll bite, both at uh, Pathfinder and down at Glendo. So uh, really, I mean, if a guy wants to pitch a minnow in a jig or a leech in a jig and drag a worm around, I mean, I think guys are going to catch fish however they see fit. 
When when you go to a, a different setup like that, I mean, obviously an angler that's out there to, to fish, you've got your boat and you've got the rods and reels and setups that you need, but how quick of a changeover is that if maybe you're somebody that is younger in the early stages of fishing? Right. Um, in terms of knowing when to, knowing, when to switch over? Knowing when to switch over. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times it's just kind of observing what other people are doing, but... Um, a lot of it's just kind of following your 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 graph and and seeing what the fish are doing and what the and what the water is doing at, um, at like Glendo. You know we've got a lot of weed growth in like a lot of the bays like Elkhorn and Airport and Muddy Bay, and you'll actually see that those those weeds actually coming up from the bottom. So you'll eventually see and it depends on what the water level does as well. But eventually those weeds kind of will get to the surface or maybe be five foot under the surface. And then it's just a matter of targeting, you know, your bait, your presentation to be just above those weeds so that you're not snagged up, but those fish can come that are in the weeds chasing minnows, see that bait uh, being pulled over the top of those weeds and, uh, and uh, attack those. So. so, and we've talked a lot about, you know, your setup, you could be going fishing for walleye, but then catch a catfish or mm-hmm. you know you can catch a sauger you know any of this and and uh when you go out i mean that's kind of the idea of starting fishing is just kind of go out and explore yeah you know we talked i think last week you know there was a group of kids down off a of shelter point down at glendo just pitching jigs and twister tails off the shore and you know they caught 10 fish you know doing that so um you know get out and explore a little what have we heard about the river? I know that uh, there are a lot of people in town that are doing some fishing and and coming in town. They keep coming in town to do the fishing. And, you know, just driving on the, the streets of Casper, you see boats all over the, the city side. Yeah, I think, you know, this is this is the time of uh, year where, you know, the drift boat services, you know, and the Crazy Rainbow and Ugly Bug and North Platte Lodge and all those guys that are good, reputable, uh, you know, guide services. I mean, they're busy, you know, and... I talked to a guide the other day and said that um, there's off an awful lot of traffic on the upper part up around Gray Reef and down through uh, Lesby. And uh, so they're kind of exploring um, some different areas, um, you know, through town even, uh, just, to, just to get out of the pressure. Maybe a little bit, you know, fewer fish per mile, but uh, they're, they're being successful. Uh, rumors that uh, the, the Miracle Mile is fishing fantastic, but the road getting out there is pretty rough right now. So, um, take your time, you know, but, uh, you know, there's, there's fish to be had all over the state. So yeah, get out and and do that. And of course, if you have any questions, you have any concerns, you have any, you know, equipment that you need to replace because you got mad and broke your last one. (laughs) (laughs) Like throwing a golf club, right? (laughs) Get on out here. Check them out. Rocky mountain discount sports. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. We're back. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, remember, if you miss any of our segments or if you miss any of the guests that we have on, you can always hit us up 24-7 online in the My Country 95.5 app and on demand 24-7. Today, we're bringing in Jim Laborn, who is from J.H. Bear Solutions uh, up in the Jackson Hole area. And, Jim, we we appreciate you coming on. You bet. Glad to be here. Jim, over the last few years, social media has really hyped up the bear popularity. There are celebrity bears now, and especially up in the Jackson Hole area, the Yellowstone area. And it, it really has kind of put the bears more in danger, and it's 
why your organization is really necessary. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Grizzly uh, preservation has been very successful, and um, we're starting to see bears in places where they haven't been in a long time. And that's why we are really glad to be able to provide bear-resistant trash cans to people in Teton County and uh, advice on electric fences, livestock food storage, um, all of the classic things that get bears in trouble. Which people don't think that maybe it's as important as it really is for you to lock up your your food and your scented items. And because if a bear gets into that, then a bear becomes really comfortable with human things. And that's where the big problem comes in with a lot of these bears and they, they have to be dealt with and not the way we want them to be dealt with. Yeah, and uh, garbage actually is, you know, the number one problem, classic problem, always has been, you know, when the first visitors were going up to Yellowstone, um, you know, and the first hotels were, were built and stuff, they used to just dump the garbage out back and people would go out at night and watch the bears come in and eat all our scraps, you know. So it, it's it's been a it's been a classic lure for bears forever. And it's taken a long time. But finally, communities outside of the park are starting to secure their garbage and uh, th there's great new products out there. We, we uh, distribute a can made by Northland Industries called the Kodiak can and it's really tough. It's been tested by bears. They actually put uh, food, fish and you know smelly things that attract bears into it and they put it into the enclosure with bears at the Grizzly Discovery Center at West Yellowstone. If they can't get into it, then it, it becomes certified. So it is actually tested by local experts. Which is a, a great thing, especially to drive home of how important it is and, and how much goes into the desire to keep the bears safe and, and sound in, in this area. And wildlife is one of those things that people come from all over the world to spot a bear or a moose or, or an elk in, in the Jackson area and in Yellowstone. And I know that you live up in, in that general area and you see a lot of folks come through and that maybe don't know how to react or interact if if a bear happens to be in their sight. And, and you guys do some really good resources on your website, jhbearsolutions.org, that can kind of make people aware of what they need to do. Well, you know, not very many people do see a bear. And so when they do, it's pretty thrilling. It can be, uh, you know, a little overwhelming if you're out on a trail or maybe you're out hunting. But uh, the more you try to educate yourself, the, the, um, the less threatening it is and, um, and, and the more exciting it is. You know, uh, I like to tell people that you don't really have to fear bears, just respect them. And respect them is by understanding who they really are, their kind of behavior, and, and the real risk. So just the other day, we had a grizzly expert come to Jackson and speak, and he talked about all the different ways that people have died in Yellowstone. And you might be surprised at some of the numbers. So there's documented seven, possibly eight, humans that have been killed by bears in Yellowstone. Seven they know are grizzlies, one of them, they're not sure of the species. So, so in the entire history of Yellowstone, eight people have died compared to like uh, 11 people that have been murdered. Wow. You know, and, uh, and, and 
people that have died of hypothermia, dozens of people that have fell off cliffs while they were, you know, trying to get a selfie or, 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 or get some shot looking down into the canyon. You know, there's just a million ways that people come to their end. And when he put that up there, it really put it into perspective that, you know, bears have the potential to hurt you, but there's a lot of things that do, you know, you're more likely to get in a car wreck on your way to Yellowstone than you are get hurt by a bear there. Which, and and that's a, a great point to put in there because people automatically fear the bears. Like, like you said, if you're not educated on bears, you should probably educate yourself in, in the area, JH Bear Solutions or in the whole Jackson Hole area or even Yellowstone. There are experts there that if you have any kind of question or concern about how to, you know, act around bears, boy, you could sure get help before you go out and try to do it on your own. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I understand the, the passion of people that want to see bears. Um, cause I, I worked as a Yellowstone guide for over a decade and, um, bears were either one or two on people's lists of what to see. You know, they wanted to see a bear most, or they wanted to see a moose most, but I tell you, it was pretty much always in the top five and nobody ever said, um, let's keep going. Don't stop don't stop for that bear. You know, they, they might say, oh yeah, we've seen enough buffalo today, but uh, people never get tired of watching bears. And, and part of it's because bears are really big in people's imagination. And so when they actually get to see one and see at real behavior of a bear and what it's doing, it's very enlightening, you know? And, and it's, it's very rare to see any kind of predatory thing. You know, I, I have seen bears hunt elk calves and, and catch them successfully. And a couple times I've seen I've seen bears chase a deer or something. But most of the time, you know what you see? You see them just digging, you know, digging up roots, wandering around for, you know, looking for uh, rodents and stuff like that. And, and then you start to realize that, you know, maybe these animals aren't uh, 24-7 killers. Right. And, you know, and I think that movies like... The Revenant and this cocaine bear that was just down that really paint bears in in a bad light. I, I I feel that yeah, they can be mean, they can be big and bad and scary, but like you just said, you know, they're they're not all twenty four seven killers. And Jim, you've had bear encounters and you've dealt with bears, you've lived in bear country. Do you think that people make these bears out to be more celebrities than they should? And it really hurts the bears more than it helps them and brings awareness to them? Well, it's a mixed bag for sure. It's complicated. You know, like I said, people want to see them so bad. People drive all the way across the country imagining what they're going to see in Yellowstone and, you know, or the Tetons. And I tell you, when they get to a place and they see a bear, a black bear, a grizzly bear on the side of the road, they've reached their destination of that wild place that they dreamed of, right? That they that they yearned for all summer when or all, all winter when they were um, you know working in the office or wherever they are you know or in the factory and and, and they want to get out and experience nature and when they see a bear and they're like yes I made it I am in a really wild place this is awesome you know and and so bear jams can be huge I'm pretty sure that in in all of the records of of bear jams in Yellowstone or the Tetons nobody's ever been injured. But is it stressful to the bear? Oh, yeah, no doubt. And some bears don't like it, um, and they leave. And uh, and it can even affect um, how bears are able to feed, you know. Some bears get pretty uh, 
used to seeing people, you know, and that's a form of habituation, kind of a neutral form of habituation, but um, it, uh, it does affect the bear. Um, now, I just read a study about bear viewing, you know, like up in Alaska where people go and watch bears fishing for salmon or bears along the roadside in Yellowstone, even bears in Europe where there's some small bear populations and people see them on the roadside. And they say that from these studies that, that bears that see people regularly are much less likely to attack people. They realize we're not a threat, right? They see us repeatedly, we're not a threat. Now, now what's really problematic, and it's a good thing we finally stopped it, is, is people feeding bears. When I first went to Yellowstone as a little kid, the very first bear I ever saw was one that was being fed on the side of the road. And that's dangerous, right? Once they start making the association of people and food, that, that's a really bad association. Same thing with garbage. We do take some of the wild out of a bear when they are repeatedly seen on the roadside, like, like our most famous bear, Grizzly 399. Yeah, she's certainly not as, as wild as a bear that never sees people. But on the other hand, she is an ambassador for her species. One thing that people are really aware of is that bears are great mothers. Bears are teaching their cubs, playing with them, also extremely protective. People have gotten in trouble that way because, you know, they, they get too close to the cubs. You know, don't mess with mom anyway. You know, any mom, right? You know, right. a human mom is extremely protective of her kids. So jhbearsolutions.org. Uh, how long have you guys been in business? I know you're you're there to make sure that the relationship between bears and, and humans stay a bear-human relationship and, and not buddy-buddy. Yeah, well, this is a relatively new organization. We've only been around for just a little over a year. It was really uh, started by people who wanted to make sure that as, as the bear population is growing in the valley and as as the human population is growing in the valley and we could coexist and we could use technology to do that so teton county created regulations to ensure that all the attractants were secured to keep bears out of trouble and so we were formed to help with that primarily and we want to keep them out of trouble that's awesome, Jim. Thank you so much for, for tuning in today. And I know that you have hunted in bear country. I want to get some hunting tips, and we'll have you back next week for that. Go to jhbearsolutions.org to find out more of how you can help or, you know, if you want to just learn more about bears, if you're heading up that way, get over there and, and check it out. Jim, thanks again. We'll talk to you again next week. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.